Good morning, everyone. Today is October 3rd in the great city of El Paso, and we've been talking to Ms. Judy Gutierrez in a few minutes. Uh, first of all, I want to say hello to everyone, and I uh, hope everyone is having a good day. Uh, first of all, good morning, Bautista. Good morning, George. Good morning, Ms. Gutierrez. How are you doing today? Buenos dias. I'm doing very well. Thank you. And Ms. Gutierrez, she is running Great. for District 2, and the reason we bring these candidates on to, to uh, highlight their platform. Uh, but first of all, Ms. Gutierrez, we want to see who you are. Uh, and actually, um, I didn't realize that me and Ms. Gutierrez had run in the past together, and and uh, so I hope you don't hold that against me, Ms. Gutierrez. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so... Uh, just going forward, Ms. Gutierrez, just let people know, because I've heard a lot of good, honestly, I, I've done my research in Ms. Gutierrez, and I've heard a lot of good things about you, so could you just let everyone else know who you are, ma'am? Well, thank you. Um, again, thank you for the invitation. I know we have very limited time, and so mostly I always speak slow, so today I'm going to speak fast so I can get as much information as possible in the next 20 minutes. So yes, soy, uh, soy Mexicana. I am I'm a proud daughter of immigrants from Acambaro, Guanajuato. I am a first generation El Pasoan. I was born and raised and, and either lived or worked my entire life in District 2. So that is bringing um, not only a unique experience to this position, but there, the, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any candidate that knows the issues in our district, that knows the struggles that we've had and knows the people like I have. And so I am also, I am, I am very proud of my age. I am 56 and I say that because I am a cancer survivor, um, not very often touted, but in this day and age, um, I think we have to celebrate our successes. And that is definitely something that um, I've had, I've had a sister who passed away from cancer. And so um, it's, it's something that I wear proudly and a uh, 24-year retiree of the city. I chose to retire uh, back in December. I chose early retirement because I felt that passionately and that strongly that um, I could bring better leadership and better results to the people of District 2. And the last 15 years I have spent working um, and living in District 2 and taking care of all the issues from A to Z for, for, our, for our people. So that, in a nutshell, is me. I mean, just real quick, can you tell uh, those those voters uh, just so maybe they know that if they're not or if they are or not in your district, what, what district two? What does that cover? What area? So from the northern end, it's from Hondo Pass um, and everything in between, uh, railroad, magnetic to Alabama, um, almost to Cotton. I think it, it goes all the way to Rosewood. It's a little gerrymandered there um, to I ten and then um, all the way down to the airport. Uh, actually, District 2, there's a section that goes all the way down to Carnegie and McRae, which sounds insane, but there's a, a strip right there east of the airport that is still District 2. It's mostly commercial. There are a couple of voters in that area, but so it's it's a very wide um, area for, for that, District 2. Is that the one that we're... Um there's a, like a Chevron in Montana right behind that. That's, that's uh, Carnegie, right? Right. That All the way out there. It seems odd that, that you would think that'd be District 3, but that section really? is District 2. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's, you're right. It is industrial. You're right. There's a lot of commercial there. So one thing I do, I want to ask, uh, I do ask all the candidates to come in our show, uh, Ms. Gutierrez, first of all, uh, is 
what's this is there was there a singular or a collective issue that made you say you know what because granted you work for the city so you know all their internal uh you know what's going on so were there a particular thing you say you know what i'm done i'm gonna run i'm gonna represent my my people and so is there a singular or was there like a coalition of things that made you run um your words are the words that i used and i said those words i'm done and in early october I met with the incumbent and said, I'm tendering my resignation. And it was um, it was leading up uh, many things, mostly driven by the residents of District 2 who felt that they did not have a voice on council, that there was um, too much focus on District 8 and Duranguito, too much focus on state and national issues. And the fact that they rarely um, ever saw the uh, their representative out in the field or even returning phone calls and so after about a year of of this going on i i actually said i'm done and um i, I really did take a hit in my retirement but to me it was worth it because i again i feel that passionate that um, I have the leadership skills. I, ha I certainly have the experience. I've developed the relationships with the executive team, with uh, department heads, and that's what I've been doing the last 15 years. You don't get anything done at the city by being um, toxic, by being a bully. You have to work with the people that are there, whether you like them or not, whether you have the same ideologies or not. You have to learn to work together to get things done for the people. And that's, that's, you know, from the very basic issue of, you know, fixing a pothole or fixing a streetlight, uh, or getting a park renamed or, or getting um, uh, traffic circles or traffic calming, you know, from the very um, basic services to the very uh, demanding uh, needs that the, that the district has. Um, I've worked in every single thing for my, for, and I do call them my constituents. I think we all take ownership when we're running is, you know, they're our constituents. And so uh, it was a collective thing, but it's, it's, um, I, I did actually say those words, George, I did say I'm done. <laughs> and to me, yeah. it, to me, it was worth it. Um, taking what that gift and attention uh, was worth it. Uh, excuse me, but what experiences do you have or experience that, that uh, you have? I know that you mentioned that you've worked for the city. So what experiences do you have that will contribute to um, benefit your constituents as far as special projects or what, what types of ideas do you bring that are different from the, your uh, incumbent? So the first six years of my career, I worked at 911, and you really get to know um, what law enforcement, what public safety is all about. When you're on the other end of that phone, you're calling 911, um, and you're the victim of a crime or you're reporting a crime. You, those six years gave me such a unique experience because it wasn't just answering the phones and and talking to people who were victims. I went on probably 30 or 40 ride-alongs. I actually had applied to the police academy um, and had passed the test and I was training for the physical when I got injured and so there went my police career. Um, and so that gives, gives me a unique insight to, to the public safety which is on the forefront of all of our uh, minds right now. Um, the three years I worked in economic development uh, also gives me some insight into uh, the 380 agreements, how we do tax abatements, how we recruit companies, 
um, how that affects the tax base. And then the last 15 years working at the city with four different city representatives from the extreme left ideology to the extreme right ideology. And I was able to work with all four of them and continue to serve the people of District 2 and get things done. I was very hands-on. I was the face and the voice uh, the last 15 years. And and most of the reps, you know, most of their job is, you know, you're in the office um, and the majority of the time, all they do is talk on the phone with the constituents. The work that gets done, the follow through is, was what I did. And that's how I developed a large support of, of the community because they saw me day in and day out. And you don't get to know how to fix things from a desk or from a computer. You've got to be out there. Um, I even did a one day training at the time with the streets director about what it takes to resurface a street in a hundred and degree, a hundred degree weather. I was out there with Daryl Cole on those, um, uh, on that equipment, uh, watching how a, a street is paved. I don't know that there's any rep that has been out there for several hours with street staff, uh, understanding or trying to understand, cause it's very, it's, it's, it's difficult understanding what it takes to resurface a street. And so I, I was very hands-on. Uh, one of uh, Representative Bird did a great initiative of beautification, which is really important to the neighborhood. We planted over 200 trees. I can proudly tell you, half of those I, I planted. I have the blisters. I almost had heat stroke. But this is what the people remember: that you're out there, um, uh, not just talking the talk, walking the walk. And so that's the experience that I bring, Jesus. That's um, George is that I have been very hands-on the last 15 years. One thing I will say, and, and, and you know, just my personal opinion here, folks, one thing to say, I will say is that I'd rather have someone that has the experience than the, the accolades. What I mean by that is, for example, you've heard many times where a, a sergeant in battle will talk to his, his soldiers on, the, on the, his boots uh, in, in, in country because they experienced it. They know what's going on. So I, that's one thing I, I will say that that's a benefit of having experience doing, uh, you know, what a representative does. And you, I didn't realize you worked with four representatives. Which ones were yes, those, with those men? Eight years with Bird. Um, one, well, so let, Romero, Tolbert, and then the incumbent Anello. But I, I can also tell you, which many people probably don't remember, when Rep. Romero resigned uh, for health reasons, District 2 had no city representative, and I took the lead, and I ran that district for eight months until a special election was held, and Rep. Tolbert was elected. But for those eight months, the district ran, the people were taken care of. Um, there was several articles in the paper from constituents who were, who were concerned, well, we have no representative. Well, that's okay, because at the time, I had already been doing this job almost 12 years, and so what is the most important thing when you're in that office? It's taking care of the constituents, answering their calls, doing doing what needs to be done. And for those eight months, um, not only did I do that, there was a, a rezoning case that actually came up and uh, they were, it was either gonna be put on hold or the, or the project wasn't gonna get done. The developer uh, met with me and I said, let me meet with the people. So I brokered, and that was one of the things that I don't think I tout enough, is that I brought the developer and the neighborhood together. And after three or four meetings, 
the result was the CVS that we have on Montana and Chelsea. And yes, there was a lot of crying that we lost the Chico's stock was there, but Chico sold the property. They were looking at closing it down. And I was also part of Romero's team when we fought Walmart, uh, a neighborhood Walmart actually wanted to go in there. And we coalesced three or four neighborhood associations, a whole bunch of business people to stop Walmart from building there. And so the, the property remained vacant. And then I worked with the neighborhood. It's like, look, let me help you because if we don't allow the CVS, then who knows if we're going to get a strip mall with a lot more trash, a lot more. Uh, you don't know the businesses. And so I'm very proud of the fact that the neighborhood really respected that I brought in both and we worked. You know, it was give and take, give and take. And we finally came to an agreement and it wasn't ideal. They wanted a park if that was not going to happen. So the CVS has been a very good, responsible uh, business uh, partner there in that community. There's, there's still some issues that as I've been talking to the neighbors, but so for those eight months, I ran that district. Um, didn't sit on the dais, didn't vote on anything, but the, the most critical thing to me was taking care of the needs of district two, and I did that. And Changing the, the subject a little bit. Uh, just changing the subject a little bit, um, we've had uh, we, we, you know a lot of talk about the fact that we're paying uh, our city manager an enormous amount of money for for the size of city that we are, and and the the, the you know there's some controversy there that the mayor uh, didn't have anything to do with it that it was a representative and this and et cetera et cetera. How would do you feel about about you know, having having to to change some of the, the, I don't know that you can change the contract, but how would you vote or would you vote to, uh, you know, not give people at least at this time uh, during the conflict that we're having with uh, with COVID, um, to give somebody $20,000 a raise when uh, the, the peons or the people at the bottom don't get anything? How, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I'm very I'm, I'm very saddened that we had to furlough 400 plus employees. Um, let me make that clear. It, uh, uh, not being there, it's easy to say we should have figured something out better. It it it's um, it's very difficult to keep staff when you don't have the services to employ them because we have to shut everything down. The optics of the raise that the city manager and the city attorney got. Um, Yes, they did earn it. I'm, I'm not taking that away from them. But I also feel that a lot could have been done before. And I think it was allowed to play out so that candidates could have that soundbite so they could make it bigger than it was. And I will tell you what I would have done um, had I been there. I would have been proactive and not reactive. We knew ahead of time the, the contracts or the uh, evaluations were, were due in, in June. We knew in March we were hurting. We knew in May, April and May, we were hurting and losing a lot of money. So why not be proactive yes. and meet with the employees and say, okay, Tommy, okay, Carla, look, we're losing money. We're shutting down. We're furloughing employees. We're cutting, you know, the raises that we just gave the employees that they definitely deserve. We're having to take that away. Work with us. Let us either delay giving you these raises or work with us so that it can be in increments 
or don't accept it because the city manager um, several years ago in 2008, Joyce Wilson did that. We were in that recession. She took the initiative and met with council and said, I am directing you to direct the HR director not to not to process my raise. Even though Ms. Wilson had earned that raise like Tommy and Carla have, she directed them ahead of time. And so she said, I can't possibly take a raise at this time. She took that step, council took that step, and it was like, wow, that's leadership. Well, now we're in this pandemic. And to me, this is something that should have been done ahead of time. Because then at that point, you know, then it's the city manager and the city attorney who can say, no, I've earned that raise and, and I'm going to get it. Then it's, you know, then the optics change. It's like, well, you know, we tried working with them and this is how it happened. But it blew up into this, this spectacle and it shouldn't have happened that way. It should have been handled uh, ahead of time and it should have been a proactive approach um, instead of instead of it being the way it was. And, and you can't blame them. They've earned their raise. Every single city employee earned that raise. The city employees didn't have a choice on getting that raise taken taken away. Um, the other two employees did, but I think it was a, I, I think it was complete political grandstanding the way it, it played out in the public. Yeah, and I, I fully agree with that. But we have five more minutes, Ms. Um, Gutierrez. And by the way, folks, just who are watching on YouTube and Facebook, Ms. Gutierrez has uh, accepted an invitation to participate in a format we're doing here on No Vision Internet Radio. Where we have different uh, candidates from different, I'm sorry, candidates from different districts come on the same show and answer the same question. We had Aaron Montes and Sissy Bird this past Thursday. So Ms. Gutierrez and uh, Wesley Nelson, uh, Lawrence from District Four will be on this Tuesday at 7 p.m. And I'm I'm, I'm interested to to the question you're going to you, the answers you have to our question because you, Ms. Gutierrez, I've been noticing by your answers have the insight because uh, I. You know me from the past. I've dealt a lot with the city council, so you kind of know though how how it works in in city council. And right. so it's like what you said about the um, about the raise. So you have, we've asked many candidates that question, and you're the first person to give the insight from the you know with the background stuff. So I do appreciate that. One fast question before you know we have to go, Miss Gutierrez. But again, you're going to have another half an hour. Uh, this coming uh, Tuesday, because you have a lot of information that we do want to give out to the voters. Uh, that's okay. our main goal here. Uh, the, one of the questions I want to ask before we leave, Ms. Gutierrez, is that for District 2, I know all districts have this issue when it comes to, to the streets, to maintaining and improving the streets. What can you tell your voters, ma'am, uh, what you can do to improve that situation regarding the streets? So as I have been block walking, um, that is without a doubt the number one issue that they have brought up. And I am going to be very blunt with you as I have with them. And I have told them, I do not believe the streets are going to get taken care of in a timely manner or anytime soon because we do not have the money. We know citywide streets is an issue. And so what I do is I redirect them and say, okay, it's going to run, depending on the streets, we're looking at about 60 to 80,000 uh, per segment of street that we repave. And this is why we don't have the money. And so what I ask them is, yes, we're, we're all in agreement. Streets need to get done until we get our budget back on track, until we know exactly what the damage is going to be from this pandemic. What is your second, third and fourth priority? And without a doubt, we redirect to public safety. We redirect to the arena and, and uh, the the other uh, information that I'm getting, every candidate, every every constituent that I speak with, 
I take the opportunity to ask them how they feel about the arena. And very surprisingly, the arena is at the bottom of the list. They're tired. They're fed up with it. It's like either build it or let's move on. They're tired of the money being wasted and bring it back for a vote is the majority of what people say, but they're fed up with it. And then look at our alleys, look at our sidewalks. So that is what um, we talk about with the constituents. I'm being very honest with them and in, in that we're still barely finishing up street resurfacing from the 2012 bond. That was eight years ago, eight years ago when then Rep. Bird um, and that council voted to have that 200 plus million dollars for, for street resurfacing. Eight years later, we're barely finishing up citywide a lot of a lot of those streets. And so uh, we're using certificates of obligation to continue to fund other stuff. And that's probably going to be for the next story. But I'm very honest with them to tell them uh, I'm not going to promise something I cannot commit to because, yes, it is a priority. How we get there, we don't know because we don't know our budget status yet. And, and the one thing that uh, the, the viewers to know that the certificate of obligation will, more, will, will be one of the topics we talk on Tuesday. So I'm glad you touched on that. Uh, um, uh, Ms. Gutierrez. Uh, so before we leave, Ms. Gutierrez, you have like two more minutes, one more minute. Can you just tell your voters, the voters, why you, Ms. Gutierrez, are the best candidate for District 2? So it's been over 20 years. El Paso is 85% Latino. It's been over 20 years since District 2 had a Latino representative. And I'm not saying to vote for me because of the color of my skin. I'm saying to vote for me because 56 years I have been living and working in District 2, I know your issues. I know your struggles. When you talk to me about, you know, the heyday of Sunrise Center and, and the condition of our streets and the and the lights and all the issues, I understand because I grew up there. I know what you're talking about. And I'm vested there. I have a lot of family. My mother is still alive. Her house is still in District 2. So who is going to represent you better than somebody who knows you who understands our culture, who understands the struggles that we've gone through these past uh, 20, 30 years. And, and, and so, yes, I have the experience, I have the knowledge, and I have a lot of the support from the community and not just the community, um, citywide from a lot, of different, uh, a lot of different leaders. But the other thing that I'm touting in my campaign is my endorsements are only people who live in District 2 because that's what matters the most to me. Not any other, not any other candidate, not any other, uh, any other position, but the people of District Two, because that's who I answer to. And so I am you. I am one of you. Um, and so um, I'm looking forward to Tuesday. Gracias por todo, um, and and thank you for the opportunity to share um, a little bit of my platform. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Ms. Gutierrez. I do apologize for the late delay. So we're going to go and take a quick break. I'll bring Mr. Oscar Lisa in. Again, Ms. Gutierrez is going to be on the show again this Sunday with Wesley Lawrence at 7 p.m. And we will be talking about key issues, folks. I mean, she did touch a lot of uh, issues herself right now, but we're going to talk about the, the issue that really uh, we want to talk about when it comes to the city council as a whole. So, Ms. Gutierrez, God bless you, ma'am. We'll see you on Tuesday, everyone. We're going to go take a quick break and we'll be back, okay? Igualmente, thank you.
But we are back here with No Vision Internet Radio, and we're streaming live on YouTube, and Facebook, and also the audio, the audio on our website, which is www.novisioninternetradio.com. And I believe right now we are joined in by former Mayor Oscar Visser. Good Mr. morning, Visser. everyone. How are you? I'm going to call Mr. Mayor. I'm going to call Mr. Mayor because I've known this, this gentleman <laughs> for many years, and I have that respect for Mr. Mayor. So. How you been, sir? First of all, I know everyone likes to see you again. I'm, I'm doing well, and uh, thank you for, for inviting me, but please call me Oscar. <laughs> yes, sir. You know uh, <laughs> Mr. Lieser, this is Jesus Bautista. Welcome, Good and, and thank you for, for coming to our show. Thank you very much. Uh, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, to speak to um, you all and uh, the audience in El Paso. So thank you again. Well, Mr. Leeser, uh, Mr. Oscar, sorry about that. I'm about to call you Mr. Mayor. Oscar, just so, I mean, everyone knows who you are, sir, and but just to get to the viewers, uh, those for the first time maybe new to El Paso or new voters, and that's what we'd like to do, educate our voters. Can you just give them a quick background on yourself, sir? Well, um, my name's Oscar Leeser, and um, I was born in Chihuahua, Mexico. I came here at the age of nine. I didn't speak a word of English, or I couldn't read or write English. Uh, I actually, when I came to school, I was picked on, I was bullied, and um, I actually got thrown out of school because I didn't have the ability to speak English or write. Uh, I, um, I can tell you that I had a teacher in third grade that really helped me to make sure that I could read or write and brought me into her home and helped me. And uh, those are the people and that uh, make a difference in your life. Uh, I, um, I have four kids, 11 grandchildren. And um, the first job I ever had was I was a janitor at a store in Chilla Vista Mall. And the thing that's important to me is that um, I always remember where we started and make sure that we always continue to give back to our community. And um, one of the reasons why I'm running for office is that, that uh, right now the future is today. And right now our debt uh, before even COVID-19 was really, really high. And after uh, COVID-19, it's even gotten higher. So right now, it, you need a mayor that's ready to go to work on day one, a mayor that will uh, represent the people, not special interest. So have, uh, and, uh, Mr. Savala, Mr. Bautista, you all knew me when, when I was in office, and, and you, you, you know that I will represent the people, not just a few, but 100% of the people. I've always said if we ask 100% of the people to pay taxes, we need to make sure they get equal representation. You know, I'm glad you said about the taxes, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Mayor, or Oscar, sorry. Um, one of the things that, that you said, the debt, uh, the future debt, has to do a lot entail with a certificate of obligation. I know you you did not like using certificates of obligation. This mayor does. Don't know why. But can you explain why you don't like using certificates of obligation? Well, when I was in office, the uh, city council passed an item that uh, would have provided, would have issued certificates of obligation. And... They're budgetary items that are items that need to be added into our budget. Certificates of obligations are debt without representation, but at the end of the day, the taxpayer is still going to have to pay for them. So I don't believe that we should issue certificates of obligations. We should make them budgetary items to so make sure that we can represent the debt to our community and make sure that, that it's well managed. Uh, one thing um, I do want to mention, oh, go, go, Mr. Bautista, go ahead. No, Mr. Uh, Mr. Leeser, um, you were known for have, having brought businesses to, to our city. Uh, we're, we're having that pandemic right now. How will you work to try to bring more business into 
to our city, especially right now where we have a great need for them. Well, Ed, if you look at El Paso, it's probably about 80% small business. So it was, it's really important as, and I've driven around town, you see a lot of businesses that are closed and, uh, you know, some will be able to reopen, some won't, but it's as the mayor of the city, we need to go out there and talk to the businesses that are here today and make sure that we help them get through the pandemic and make sure that we use some of the CARES money to open these small businesses and, and talk to them and how we can help them continue to grow. And then we need to start talking to companies that um, that want to relocate somewhere, but they're not sure where they're going to be. My job as the mayor is to earn their business and bring them to El Paso. When I was in office, we had unemployment that was over 9%. Uh, when I left office, it was under 4% because we went across the country and we would talk to site consultants. A site consultant is a company, company will go hire them and say, okay, we want to expand our business. We want to grow our business. Where do we best fit? Well, El Paso was never on their list. So we went over there and we earned their business and we brought them back to El Paso. We actually had over 200 either site consultants or CEOs of Fortune 500 companies come to our community and make sure that uh, how we could earn their business. Uh, you know, Dr. Nalisha and Dr. Serata actually worked really close with us as these companies came to El Paso. We had to meet with them and we said, what kind of jobs will we be providing? And based on those jobs, Dr. Nalisha and Dr. Serata agreed to have a curriculum that would graduate <coughs> our citizens that would have the training that needed for these jobs. So we'll continue to do the same thing we did, and that's to go out and talk to people, earn their business, and get them to come to El Paso. Mr. Oscar, one of the things that happened under your administration, in my opinion, was historic in the advancement of uh, inclusion for people with disabilities. And uh, under your tutelage, we met with you, this is a two-part question. We met with you quarterly, and we will call it a quarterly uh, meeting with the mayor. And uh, first of all, would you continue that? And number two, why was it so important for you to make those improvements or those investments for us to be more inclusive? Well, we go back to that we ask 100% of the taxpayers to pay taxes. We need to represent 100% of the people. And if you remember, when I was in office, we, we had a lot of projects we needed to do and things we and realized that there was not a budget item for curb cuts for special things we needed to do so when we had our meetings it uh, we, we identified things that we needed to do so we put a budget in the budget that would be every year so we could continue to do and enhance you know the quality of life for El Paso when Mr. Lisa is talking, Mr. Oscar is talking about folks, just real fast, uh, some background. Uh, he's talking about what's called the on-demand program. That program uh, allows constituents to call into the city and say, you know what, I don't have a curb cut or I don't have a light post in my area. When when uh, Mr. Oscar took over, uh, when he was mayor, it was zero. When he left, it was 500,000 folks. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Because you may think, well, well, you know, it's a curb cut, so what? But someone that uses a mobility device or wheelchair that wants to go to the library, that curb cut makes a huge, huge difference. So I think that's why it's important to mention that so people understand that you're universal in your approach to dealing with people with disabilities and your constituents. Uh, I have another question, uh, Mr. Deeser uh, or Oscar. Um, when it comes, there's one of the hot topics that's been mentioned before. We have other candidates on the on our platform, uh, mayor candidates. Uh, what's your opinion, sir, uh, or do you have an opinion on defunding the police? 
you know, it's important that we fund our police department and fund it properly. And we need, uh, you know, El Paso's had the luxury for many, many years to, to be one of the safest cities in America. And we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to fund our law enforcement to make sure that we have the proper equipment, we have proper training and make sure that uh, they have the funds to be able to do that. So I want to make sure that we continue to be the safest city in America. Uh, along those lines, Mr. Lister, um other cities such as Las Cruces, small, even San Alisario and, and some of the, the, the smaller um, cities and towns uh, have their policemen, um, they all have uh, body cameras. El Paso doesn't have, uh, I think it's just a few that have them. Why is that and why can't we... Why can't we afford to 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 um, fund that that part or that department? And that's what we talked about. We need to make sure we have proper funding for our police department. We need to make sure they have proper equipment. And that's one of the things that we need to look to make sure we have the funding. And the funding sometimes it's not for the body cameras as much as it is for you know the storage cloud. But we need to make sure that we have that and have it available to our police department. We have to make sure they have the 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 best equipment and the best tools possible to make sure that again that uh, we continue to be one of the safest cities in America. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mayor, uh, Mr. Lisa, just hang on just a second. Uh, it, it's been brought to our attention that uh, I don't know how many millions of dollars we spent for uh, for wrongdoings or you know from from this action. If we had those cameras, we would not save a good deal of money and would we not protect both the officers and the um, uh, the supposedly victims yeah and we and we need to like i said so we do need to have proper equipment we need to have make sure they're funded properly so they can have that you're, you're correct that we need to have that but we also need to have a citizens advisory board that is selected by every, the mayor and every district will have somebody that's appointed that's an independent uh board for uh, the police department. Well, one of the issues that come, came, has come up, uh, Mr. Oster, is through the, through the past four years is the lack of transparency when it comes to the dealing uh, with issues or personnel like the city manager and the city attorney. This uh, mayor has, you know, arbitrated his own decisions and, you know, this is, he said that this is what's going to be done and follow me. and. So what can you bring, and, and you know, I'm talking to the choir here when it comes to your transparency, I know you're good with that, but to let the, the voters know, what can you bring or what can you do to change the lack of transparency in city council? Well, we need to work together and we need to make sure that we include the public, we include the citizens. And you're right, we had that, uh, you know, quarterly uh, meeting that was very important, but we just didn't meet on a quarterly basis. We literally, you know, Julio would, take the notes and then we would meet every week and see what we accomplished and so the things we committed so when we met again we had accomplished and done what we, we said we we're going to do so we need to continue to do that that uh, have uh, you know groups from all sectors of business uh, and uh, the medical business and have groups that we meet on a monthly basis that help us continue to listen to the people that, that what you're asking me right now mr Savala, is how how are we going to continue to listen to the people and we will continue to listen to people we'll continue to work hard and um you know um 
and the the key to your question is how do we work together and that's the important part we will work together well i'll, I'll give you one example let me hold on Ms. Wilson. let me give you one example folks just uh uh we because a lot of times we see city council or elected officials don't listen to the constituents and we have many people come on this platform and say, well, Mr. Savala or Mr. Bautista, when I'm elected, I'm gonna help you guys, help people with disabilities and et cetera, et cetera, or constituents, period, anybody. And so I've been told many of things, but was you, uh, Mr. Lisa, I, just, I remember one thing that popped in my head when you said about Julio. Julio Perez, folks, is the ADA coordinator for the city. There is a point where we brought up an issue regarding having JAWS. JAWS is a software that me and Mr. Bautista use for both vision impaired that lets us uh, interact with a computer. It talks, it's a speech, uh, a screen reader. So we brought up the issue of in El Paso right now, or at that time, the city, no libraries or senior centers, senior centers had, they had computers, but no jobs. So someone that's blind or visually impaired that went into those facilities couldn't use them. And we met uh, Julio, or actually I, I think I told you, Mr. Minister, and within three weeks, I think three weeks, every facility had well, at least one computer was that software. And that's why I'm saying is historical leaps have been made under your tutelage and I hope it continues you know, if you become elected mayor, sir, because I think that's important for people to understand that people with disabilities, yeah, but the whole constituents are important to you listen to us. And I think having the, uh, any elected official listen to us is a great, great uh, advantage. I think Mr. Bosita had a question. Yeah, what uh, I was gonna ask you, Mr. Moyer, um, we are known as having the second highest uh, uh, tax, uh, home home tax throughout the country. And uh, it's been said that a part of the reason for that is because our the contractors or home builders, they only pay for the home, for the home that they're building. They're, they don't pay for the, for the, the grid, the utilities, the road paving and all that. The, that's that's left to the taxpayer. What can you tell us about that? What will you do about that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part of the question. I apologize. Uh, well, the, the we we have the highest. We pay the highest uh, home taxes, or you know, uh, and and uh, supposedly we was the second highest in the nation, and that's that's. That's not a very good reputation, for, you know, for a small city like ours. But what can you do about that? And is it because of the the contractors having, you know, not having to to pay for the the utilities, the grid, and you know, the uh, when they build uh, homes out in the far east? No, and you know, and they do have an impact fee, so they they do pay their the impact fee that uh, for for them to be able to build. And it's really important to work with them, make sure that that. Uh, we continue to bring businesses to El Paso. We need to continue to make sure we expand within the city limits. So the, the more jobs we bring, the more taxes that company will pay, but then the more, the, the better quality of life for our citizens, because now they have a job and they can buy a home. And that's how you're going to be able, you can't go out and just raise everybody's tax because that wouldn't work. That would uh, actually, you know, take people out of their homes and have businesses to stop coming into El Paso. So you have to bring businesses that will pay good jobs. And, I, and the example I use uh, is that it's like buying, going out there and buying a fruit tree. You buy a fruit tree, then you go outside and you plant it and you give a lot of water and you go to bed and you wake up at night and the next morning you go, wow, didn't give me any fruit. I, I think I got ripped off. Well, no, you got to continue <laughs> to water. You need to continue to grow um, our business. Our, and uh, we need to 
the more homeowners we get, the more people we get to pay into the system, the more you can divide it by. And that's how you're going to, you know, stabilize your taxes. So that's something that's really, really important. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure that uh, we work really close with uh, home builders and we look work with businesses that are coming to El Paso because we need to make sure that we're business friendly. And that's how we're going to grow our community. Business friendly is just not putting a sign outside. The office is open for business. Business friendly is to make sure that we have proper Per permitting pr process that we actually make it easy for all the businesses in El Paso to do business and grow in our community. Well, Mr. Oscar, uh, one of the questions I we asked the other candidates, and that seems uh, people kind of get mad if I don't ask this question, just your perspective or your opinion, I guess, on just two hot about topics, the two hot topics, excuse me, that have been around for many, many years and probably will be for another few more years, the arena and Doranguito. What's your, 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 your opinion on that, sir? Well, even long before this campaign started, I had talked uh, that we needed the, the, the voters. First of all, that I'll go back a little bit and I'll come back to your question, is that in 2012, the voters overwhelmingly voted for the quality of life bonds. And if you look at the quality of life bonds, they were really under budgeted because they were set to roll out uh, you know, from 10 to 15 years. And no one took into consideration the cost of doing business. No one took into consideration the cost of labor over the you know year one to year 15. So they were really under budgeted. And then they didn't have any operating and maintenance. Operating and maintenance, so when you build a facility, you still have to be able to maintain it. So none of that. So unfortunately, it was very poorly planned. And um, But in the first three and a half years I was in office, I actually funded 54% of all the money for the quality of life bond items because it was important. I knew what the rate was. I knew what the impact would be on my budget. So I went ahead and brought it in to make sure that we could perform and build these quality of life items. The citizens were told they would get a, uh, a performing art center and I, and we need to do a performing art center. The best place to do it is to incorporate the convention center and the Abraham Chavez Theater. It's, you know, it's a jewel of our community. So we take the money and if, if you remember back in the 70s, the convention center was supposed to be built in two, two stages. We only did the first one. So we need to have a performing arts center that's incorporated with the Abraham Chavez, with the convention center, and make sure that we can bring conventions so it helps the whole city. You know, there's been great hotels built downtown. There's been hotels and businesses built all around El Paso. We need to make sure we support them. So when we invest to have the state-of-the-art convention center, the state-of-the-art um, the Abraham Chavez for our Performing Arts Center, then we have a return on investment to our citizens. The Mexican-American Cultural Center needs to be pulled out of the library and make sure that it's um, that it's got its own identity, its own beauty. So there's things that um, I'm, I'm, I think we need to do with, uh, with the Performing Arts Center and make sure that uh, we represent again, and I keep saying this because it's important that we represent the interest of the people, not special interests. No, I was just going to say, uh, so, so you're saying that perhaps that we need to just uh, lay off the, the uh, arena because it's, it wasn't properly funded and we should just go ahead and, and uh, put our money somewhere else where, where it will be more beneficial to the community? Yeah, we need to invest the money into, again, the Abraham Chavez and the Convention Center. And that will really have a return on investment to our citizens and really enhance the quality of life for us. So it's really important that, uh, you know, right now we're, we, we have uh, 
COVID-19, we have a lot of businesses that are closed and we need to make sure that we help these businesses reopen and create jobs because, you know, as the longer they stay closed, the, the harder it will be for them to reopen and then create the jobs for our citizens. Yeah, that's true. One thing I wanted to ask you, which is you, this question is unique to you, uh, Mr. Oscar, because you've been mayor before. What would you do? And this is the question that I, I had to ask you or someone asked me to ask you is what would you do different now than your first four years? You know, I, I can tell you that what I did four years ago was represent the people of El Paso and I'll continue to do that. I created almost 5,400 jobs and retained over almost 7,500 jobs. So that's created and retained almost 14,000 jobs and raised the household medium income in El Paso. And we'll continue to do that. Um, I, um, you know, unfortunately, people ask me, says, because I got uh, I got interviewed the other day and they said, boy, you know, Mayor, when you were in office, uh, the city was going great. The jobs were coming in. The incomes were going up. What happened? What? Why did you leave us? Why didn't you run for reelection? And uh, I know, Mr. Savala, you know this, but mm-hmm. I had some um, serious health issues that I had to uh, take care of. And um, and now that uh I tell people that uh, those health issues are behind me, and I'm proud to announce that I am a cancer survivor. Amen. Amen to that. Thank God. One of the comments uh, I've heard people uh, say about you, Mr. Lisa, is that you you always had an open door for people, and I know that for myself and for those of us with disabilities, that we could, we could call, and you would always open the door to for us to go see you. And uh, people that I've talked you know, people that I've talked to always say the same thing. You know, you could call in and he would answer the phone or he would, you know, invite us to come in and discuss whatever issue, you know, we, we wanted to discuss. And I always appreciated that. And I want you to know that. Well, thank you. And, I con- and I'll continue to do that. It's important that we represent the people that elected us just not on election day. But once you get in the office, you need to continue to re- represent them. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Oscar Vieser, or Mr. Uh, Mayor. I'm going to say Mr. Mayor. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's a habit. I've been calling you up for so many years. No. Uh, that uh, what made you? I mean, because I've known you, I mean, just, you know, for over years. And so you're, you know, you came out of city council, or you, you know, came out of being mayor, you went back to the private sector, and and you had it good. You recovered from cancer, thank God. So what what made you come back to stress? I mean, what, you know, what's the, the catalyst to love for our community and the, and the love for the people of El Paso. And it's not just a saying I enjoyed representing the people. I enjoyed that uh, the people had an independent voice, which was me, that it's not supported by, like I said, a special interest group or the big political group pushing somebody to be in office. This is, you know, you're talking about somebody that's working his campaign with his wife and a couple friends. That That's I, I love El Paso, and I think it's very important that our citizens have an independent voice that represents them. Well, we have a few more minutes left. But, Mr. By, the way, uh, by the way, Mr. Mr. Lisa, uh, how is your mom? Uh, I always you know, enjoyed her commercial. She's doing well. She, um, I, I talk to her every day. She texts me every morning. and. First thing she does when she wakes up, she texts me and tells me she loves me. And before she goes to bed, she does the same thing. And it's something that's really special to me. And I text her back, and I, and um, it's uh, it's something special. She's 89 years old, and uh, she loves to text. 
Yeah, yeah. No, thank God she's still around. There. My mom was a big fan of yours. You know that. So she was a yes, huge sir. fan of yours. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think I have your, if I can't see that, Mr. Merritt, I believe I have your uh, ticker, the website on the bottom, oscarleaser.com. You visit his. It's, uh, uh, it's actually oscar at oscarleaser.com. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Okay. No, that's Just right. that. Uh, and um, so one thing I want to ask you, because uh, you know those candidates right now running for, for mayor and, and we have an incumbent. And this incumbent, in my experience, folks, my experience now, just, you know, um, like you say, educate the voter, is that he, he hasn't been very responsive. Uh, and that's why I wanted to ask that question about meeting with you on a quarterly basis, because this current mayor said no, he will not do that. So I just wanted to make sure that we, you know, put that forward because I think it's important to, like you said, have that open door. Uh, so with that being said, uh, Mr. Mayor, what makes you, Mr. Oscar Lee, the best candidate for mayor? Well, it's, um, Mike, you know, right now the city is, has a lot of debt and it had a lot of debt prior to COVID-19 and it has a lot more debt now. It's really important that we have a mayor that's ready to go work on day one. One of the things that I proposed that we need to do is to um, start a budget at zero budget. And a zero budget basically means that uh, every department will have to come in and kind of go over it with city council and the mayor and talk about their needs of their department. And then we'll add it to it. If you look at the city budget today, it's a billion dollars. So you don't want to add on top of it. You want to start really from zero and make sure that everything we're spending is budgeted properly and it's things that we still need and you'll see that at the end of the day it's a very long process to do but it's a process that being a businessman I understand how to do it and how we need to do it and it will save our taxpayers and our citizens millions and millions of dollars by doing a zero budget make sure things are budgeted properly they're allocated properly and it actually will take the, all the fluff out of the budget and make sure that there is no fluff in there you know one of the things that as I've been um, talking to people and um, doing Facebook Live, which I did on Thursday, one of the biggest questions is, you know, there was a, um, I instituted a no-kill shelter in El Paso. They were euthanizing about 75% of all animals captured were being euthanized in, um, in El Paso. So we started a no-kill shelter and it went all the way up to 85% life and release, which is incredible. And they seem that the city has closed the shelters down. They're not taking animals. It's become a, a big issue and uh, I will make sure that it's operated properly. But uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'll make a commitment that I will represent 100% of the people and I will never represent special interest people, but I will represent the interest of the people. I make a commitment to you that we will look at the scope of the city manager. It was 15 years ago when it was set up, it was set up to have continuity between councils as a change in the city manager and our citizens. And it's really the city manager over the years has gotten, you know, a lot of, a lot of power and taken away from your elected officials. So we need to have a conversation as elected officials as a whole and see how we can, you know, look at the scope and uh, the job uh, description of the city manager. And at the end, we'll probably have to go back to the citizens and change some of the things on a charter election. And that's going to be very important. That's probably one. That is probably the biggest question I keep getting about the city manager and, and how we will bring the city manager's uh, former government to do as it was intended to do 15 years ago. And I'll commit to do that. But I'll commit that I'll work every day hard to make sure that I continue to earn your trust. 
And it was amazing when you said that city manager, uh, Mr. Mayor, is that, you know, we have a position in the city that, that earns over, with benefits and whatnot, over 300000 close to 350000 And that's a lot for one elected official. When you have a mayor and the city council earning less, less, much less than that. So I think that a lot of people agree with that. The city uh, manager needs to be re revisited to see how we could you know, restructure that to make it more conducive to what's going on. Because right now, the city is in debt. The city manager's is main, main uh, priority is to fix that. But but that's another discussion for another day. But I do appreciate you mentioning that because that's one of the questions I had too. And I'm yeah, but it's really that. important that we know that the future starts today. And yes. we, that's why it's really important that we elect a mayor that's ready to go to work on day one. And that would be me. Amen, sir. Did you have any last words to say, Mr. Bautista? I just want to thank you, uh, Mr. Lisa, for, for coming on on the show and giving us a lot of information. And we've known you from before, so we know what you stand for and what you, you know, what you've done for the city. And we thank you for your service and uh, we should good luck. You know, I was looking back the other day at some of the, the uh, state of the city that I did. And the last one I did, we had had a slide that showed that uh, during my administration, we actually had done over 75 ADA projects. Um, mm -hmm. So it was really important that we continue to do that and continue to have the proper funding. That's true. And, and there's a lot of things that during the quarterly meetings with you, Mr. Mayor, is that a lot of things were done. It wasn't okay, you know, we just put it in and we'll, we'll kick it around down the street. I, there's plenty of time, folks, that Mr. Mr. Mayor would say, I want this, this time we meet, I want answers. And so, I mean, that's 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 a leader that we need to have, especially now, uh, that runs the city because we're in debt and we're going to get more in debt, especially after COVID. And, uh, you know, because of the, the pending recession, if we're not already one in one. And so uh, I think having that leadership is going to help take us out of this recession and COVID, you know, what the re Because end of the day, it's just going to end, folks. COVID is going to go away, so hopefully someday soon. And we're going to go quote, back to life normal. So we're going to need to put all our ducks back in line and say, okay, where are we at now when it comes to the budget, especially with the city? So, like I said, Mr. Mayor, I do appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Like I said, I consider you a good friend. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, sir. Uh, just a quick note here. Next uh, next Saturday, we're going to have uh, Veronica Escobar and Calvin Zaldorf, I believe that's his name. Uh, this gentleman I don't know much about. We'll find out next week. Tuesday, we're going to have a special edition of No Vision. We're going to have Gutier uh, Julie Gutierrez from District 2 and... Uh, Wesley Lawrence from District 4 at the same time at 7 p.m. And then Wednesday, we're going to have Cassandra Brown and uh, Anello at 7 o'clock. So, Mr. Mayor, bless you, my friend. I hope you wish you much, much, much luck and uh, hope to do much things with you when it comes, comes to ADA in the coming years, sir. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for your friendship, both of you. It means a lot to me. And, um, and thank you again for the opportunity for uh, this last 30 minutes to speak to our citizens. Thank you. Amen, again. sir. Thank you, sir. As we go out, folks, I'm going to play a song from a El Paso artist. Her name is Catalina Gutierrez, young girl. I've known her. She actually done some things for us. We had a, a forum. She did the national anthem. So I, I promised her that I'll play her latest cover. It's called, I believe it's called Monkey Dance. She did it as a, uh, you about two weeks ago so i promised her i would show us a video awesome song uh she did a great job with this so mr lisa thank you sir salute you thank you very much Bautista. and we're gonna go ahead and go with uh, this 
Catalina Gutierrez, she's on YouTube, by the way. Go ahead and check her out. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. They say, oh my God, I see the way you shine. Take your hand, my dear, and place them both in mine. You know you stopped me dead while I was passing by. Now I beg to see you dance just one more time. Woo, I.